I invite you to turn to Luke 14 for a text this morning, Luke 14. And Lee, if I were a song leader, I'd probably spend a little bit of the time during the message trying to choose a song. So I want to uh, tell you right up front, you don't have to do that. What I'd like to do is sing 245 in the hymns of the church after the message, which is uh, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. I don't know how many of you enjoy history. Well, I'm curious, how many of you like history? Okay, if you were under uh, 16 years old and you raised your hand, uh, I'd be tempted to tell you to come up and give, a, give you some real great award, but I don't have it with me. I say that because I was about 30 years old. I mean, I always kind of enjoyed history, but I don't know why it took me about 30 years in life to just really, really appreciate history. Because history is, is part of the great big story that is God's story, if you will. Now, I know history, a history book is only a version of what somebody says that really happened. So you have to differentiate a little bit. But in going through a history book, when I taught school for a few years, I remember, well, actually, I remember as a, a little boy in school, reading about a man named George Washington Carver. Any George Washington Carver fans? No, you don't have to, you don't have to raise your hand. But I like George Washington Carver. He's really, he's, he's intriguing. There's a little slice of his story that is really fascinating. He said this. He said, well, let me say this first. You know, if you don't know about George Washington Carver, he was the, a scientist who developed hundreds, hundreds of useful products from a peanut. That's amazing. That is outstanding. That is, that's wow. So he tells this story when he was a little, when he was young. He asked God to show him or tell him the mystery of the universe. Now that, that's actually pretty neat that a young person would say, God, I just want to understand the mystery. In other words, he wanted to know science. He wanted to understand how everything works. And George Washington Carver said, God told me that that is reserved for God alone. And I'm not going to unfold everything about the universe to you. That's, I'm sure George Washington Carver would say, there's not, not that we can't understand the great big universe, but that's... Then, George Washington Carver said, God, this, is, this is amazing, God, tell me the mystery of a peanut. And God said, George, now we're on your size. And the rest of the story is amazing. What, what George Washington Carver did developing hundreds of useful things about a peanut and I mean useful useful things for the peanut so this message is not about history this message is not about peanuts this message is about humility and maybe we maybe it could be understanding our size if you will just humility Luke 14 has always been a favorite of mine, and I see several themes emerge from this beautiful chapter, and I see several groups of people 
in this chapter, and we're not going to get all of them. In fact, I'm not going to try to cover the whole chapter, but I just want to kind of zero in on uh, especially verses 7 through 11. But in verses 1 through 6, I'm going to quick re- quickly read them. I want to get to the context. Context is so important. And in this case, it really is important because the setting has a lot to do with the story. It came to pass, verse four, chapter 14, verse 1, Luke 14. It came to pass as he went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day, they watched him. That means they scrutinized him. And behold, there was a certain man before him which had the dropsy. And Jesus answered and spake unto the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? And they held their peace. And he took him and healed him and let him go. And they said, and answered them, saying, Which one of you have an ass or an ox fallen into a pit and will not straightway pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him again to those things. So that's just the setting, okay? He's in the, he's in the house of one of the chief Pharisees, one of the upper, upper crust of society, and the Pharisees had, a, had an agenda, and the agenda was to watch so closely and find fault with him. So the, set, the story that I just uh, read definitely would merit a message. But that's only the context for this morning. So that's what happened. They, they, couldn't answer, they couldn't answer Jesus. It was one of those moments where Jesus gave the statement and they, they had no idea what to say. So then Jesus comes back in response in verse 7 and with a parable. And I'm going to start. You can join me here as I read in verse 7. And he put forth a parable to those, in other words, it was directed to those which were bidden when he marked. In other words, Jesus noticed too. He marked how they chose out the chief rooms saying unto them, When thou art bidden of any man to a wedding, sit not down in the highest room, lest the more honorable man than thou be bidden of him. And he that bade thee, him, come and say it to thee, give this man place. And thou begin with shame to take the lowest room. But when thou art bidden or invited, go and sit down in the lowest room. That when, that when he that bade thee comes, he may say unto thee, Friend, go up higher. Then shalt thou have worship in the presence of them that sit at meat with thee. And this verse should be underlined. If you underline or highlight in your Bible, this verse should be highlighted. Whosoever exalts himself shall be abased. And he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. I'm going to stop reading there. I'll probably pick up the story a little bit later, but let's just just discuss this just a little bit. What's going on? So, like I said, they're in a home of a Pharisee. Jesus was being scrutinized. He was being watched closely. 
and he noticed that they he noticed their pride he noticed their pride among themselves and so he gives the gives the parable so now just get the picture uh a man comes in and he wants the I don't know what it really looked like in the houses, but there must have been elite seats and just uh, maybe a place on the floor. So he noticed that a man comes in and of his own will takes the elite seat or the highest room or the place of honor. And then in the meantime, something happens and all other people come in and now all the other seats are filled and and now the the host has somebody else come that that seat was for and he says uh excuse me but you need to come you need to come and take a, a lower seat and then the bible actually jesus actually says and he it seems to me that he, he walked right past all the others to the very lowest, and I guess you could probably say that he, his bubble, his self-bubble was popped as he took the lowest seat. And okay, that's one side of this parable. And then the other option, or the other side of the parable is another one comes in, and he takes the lowest seat. He takes, he left all the other great seats for others. He takes the lowest one. And did you catch it? The the host noticed that. He noticed it. And he goes to him. And and by the way, people notice that. It's not too hard to notice someone taking the servant role. And the host went and got the one that chose to take the servant role and said, uh, we have another seat for you. Somebody else exalted him and put him at, a, at a, I guess, the elite seat. I don't like to say it that way, but for the sake of the parable, that's what happened. And then it says that after he said, friend, go up higher, in verse 10, it says, thou shalt have worship in the presence of them that sit at meat with thee. And I don't really like the way the King James renders that, but what it means is you are going to, uh, ESV might say glory, I'm not sure what other translations would say, but it has the idea of you are going to be respected. You will be greatly respected. So there's the story. Here we are, we're living life, and I like to say it like this, there's many, many seats in life. And I'm wondering, which seat am I taking, and which seat are you taking? And maybe you're like me, but we've seen it all in life, right? I'm only 53, and I think I've seen, a, a seen pretty much of people choosing their seats. And I just want to say, I want to I say, if you forget everything I said, just take verse 11 and rivet it deep in your heart. You'll never, ever, ever defy the principle. 
It's a principle that stands just like the law of gravity. No one has ever defied it. No one ever will. Whoever exalts himself shall be abased. And he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. I mean, just let your mind go through history a little bit, okay? You know, let's start in the Bible. Look at Haman. You know that story? That, that, that is just an amazing story. The king says, how do I exalt somebody? <laughs> he thought, he's got to be talking about me. What seat is he taking, right? You know the end of the story, right? The end of the story is, is just amazing. His worst enemy, Mordecai, was the one that got to take the ride, got that seat. Mordecai didn't choose that seat. And you know the end of Haman? He was hung on the very gallows he prepared for somebody else. Uh, that's just one example. Uh, King Saul in the Old Testament. That is a profound story. But there is one little quote that I'd like to say. God, uh, quote, God told him, when you were little in your own sight, think that through. Now he's big in his own sight. What happened? He started out with a better or more fitting perspective of himself. Because God told him, when you were little in your own sight. Well, you know the story of a little boy that, that uh, took care of, of, of Goliath. And that's, a, that's another, another side. Anyway, let's leave King Saul. Uh, I'd like to go to Mussolini. And again, if you know your history books, you know him. Mussolini, well, who, who was he? Was he Italian? I think he was Italian. He was the leader of the fascist group. But he, he did he nickname himself? But I, he's, he's remembered as the deuce or like the king, the captain, the best, the greatest. When, when he was strutting across the... Uh, Mediterranean world, he was once asked, how did you, how did you come to such, uh, in other words, how did your rise to power come so swiftly? How did it happen so quick? You're so powerful, so quick. And here's what he said. He said, I looked around and I found Europe to be full of empty throne rooms and I simply walked in and took them all. Oh. Oh, he chose his seat. Well, have you, if you read about Mussolini, you also read about his death. Oh, his death was horrible. I think he was kicked and spit on and shot and hung upside down and with a, with a it's almost too gory to talk about. He chose his seat. Hitler. We could talk about Hitler. Uh, he literally died like a madman in a bunker and ruined Germany. Voltaire nearly ruined France with his anti-God philosophies. When he died, when Voltaire died, there was a nurse that was taking care of him. And the nurse, and I quote, the nurse said, I will never nurse an atheist again, even for all of France's wealth. And so those are just little uh, snippets of history that are profound. It's about the seat. Now, there are, I, I chose some bizarre seats, and maybe would have done better to 
uh, give some more illustrations of the seats that I would maybe choose and you would maybe choose and that are a lot closer home, but whoever exalts himself will be abased. You'll never defy the principle. You will also never defy the principle of if you humble yourself, if you humble yourself and say, I'm going to be a servant and I'm going to serve and I'm going to serve and I'm going to serve, you will be exalted. You'll be exalted. That's what the Bible says. No one will ever defy the principle. And we're talking about examples. Uh, there's only one that I dare use, right? I don't dare use a human example. Well, Jesus was 100% God, 100% man. He, in Philippians 2, he made of himself no reputation. He took upon himself the form of a servant. The Bible says he humbled himself and he became obedient even to the death of the cross. You know the rest of the story, the rest of the, the verse? Wherefore, God hath highly exalted him. It's a principle that no one will ever, ever defy. So, let us choose our seats carefully in life. Humility, that's the subject. Andrew Murray wrote a very good book on humility. I think humility is actually the title of it, but Here's a few quotes from, from Andrew Murray. He says, humility is the perfect quietness of heart. So if I have noise, turmoil, there's a link to the pride humility topic. Andrew Murray said, humility is to expect nothing, to wonder at nothing that is done to me and to feel nothing done against me. Hey, did you, I, I don't think I got that, so I'm gonna say it to myself again. Humility is to expect nothing, to wonder at nothing that is done to me, and to feel nothing that is done against me. I didn't pass the test. I don't know if you did. Humility is to be at rest when nobody praises me, and when I am blamed or despised. Andrew Murray, you're too hard, right? Humility, Andrew Murray again. Humility is to have a blessed home in the Lord where I can go in and shut the door and kneel to my Father in secret, and I'm at peace as in the deep sea of calmness when all around and above is trouble. I would, if you enjoy reading, you can get the book titled Humility by Andrew Murray. It's a good read. Humble, peach, humble people are teachable, ready to do small things. They're not envious of others' promotions. They're not envious of other, other achievements. They remain calm during criticism and even false, false accusation. That's humility. Someone is noted about birds. I'm not necessarily a bird watcher. I'll be honest with you, I'm intrigued by big birds. Are you? The eagle and the turkey and the, some other big birds aren't quite as nice, but, but no big birds can make a nice song. It's just the real little birds that sing really beautiful. The canary, the wren, the lark, 
the sweetest music comes from those Christians who are small in their own estimation before the Lord. I trust that our song is so sweet and so melodious and so beautiful and not gobble, gobble, gobble. F.B. Meyer says, I used to think that God's gifts were on shelves, one above another, and the taller we grow, the more we get in the Lord. And he says, but I find that as I mature in life, that God's gifts are, that yes, they're on shelves, but they are one beneath another. And the lower we stoop, the more we'll get of the Lord. I think he's on to something. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So, what kind of shelf, I'm sorry, what kind of seat am I choosing? What kind of seat are you choosing? I'm going to read verses, starting in verse 12, it says, Then he said to him that bade him, now I talk to the host, okay? It's kind of directed to, to uh, the, the folks that chose the, the, the seats. Now he looked right at the host and said, When you make a dinner or a supper, Call not thy friends, nor thy brethren, nor thy kinsmen, nor thy rich neighbors, lest they also bid thee again, and recompense be made to thee. And when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and then shalt thou be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee, or repay thee. And thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just." Let me stop there for just, just a minute. And I, I'm not quite sure what to pull out of there other than it's practical advice for Jesus from the host. Sir, and this is all linked to humility, I'm, sh- I'm certain. Serving those who cannot repay you is humility. Note the poor, the lame, the blind. There's going uh, to be an aw- reward at the resurrection of the just, according to verse, verse 14. I wonder if that kind of, if I could sum all those verses up, it's beware of what's in it for me mentality, okay? Beware, I think Jesus is basically saying to the host, beware of what's in it for me mentality. And that is definitely linked to humility. So again, I just want to encourage you, I want to encourage myself, choose your seat. Carefully choose your seat in life wisely. In other words, walk the path of humility. Well, there was somebody sitting at, at, uh, at lunch or whatever the meal was, it says at meat in verse 15, that just had a bingo moment. He says, hey, what Jesus said here was wonderful. Okay, that's in my words. It says in verse 15, and when one of them sat at meat, with him heard these words he said unto them blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of god uh, just kind of like a side note statement i'm sure that encouraged jesus and then maybe just uh, in, cl- in closing let me just look at the next couple of verses here another picture that jesus uh jesus shared and i do believe it is directly linked to the subject of humility we could branch off into another topic, another theme, and I, I think we would be safe, but I, I really believe we're, it's a continued, continued theme. So let me just read it. Jesus said unto him, 
So it's almost like he now he directed this parable to the guy that had the light bulb moment and said, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. He said, A certain man made a supper, and he bade many. And he sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they would, and they all, I wish I wouldn't say all, but it does. And they all, with one consent, began to make excuse. Then said unto him, I'm sorry, the first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground and must go, must needs go and see it. I pray thee have me excused. And another said, I have brought five, I'm sorry, bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant showed the Lord these things, and the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes and the city, and bring in hither the poor the maimed, the halt, and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou commanded, and yet there's room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. And I say unto you, that none of those men that were bidden shall taste of my supper. And there went a great multitude with him, and he turned and said, I'm going to stop there. So, like I said, I'm not quite sure how to link these verses to the prior verses, but I'm convinced the, the theme continues. And there's a, I believe there's a salvation message tucked in this passage. I believe uh, the, the message is strong. I believe it's that we are saved by responding to God's uh, invitation and totally trusting in him. And we're lost by ignoring his invitations and making excuses and being all wrapped up in your stuff. And it seems to me that, that the need for this hour was to show the, the righteous people that they could not depend on themselves. I believe, they were, I believe this is a very self-sufficient group that he was talking to. The parable, I don't know if you caught it, but I, I, I tried to emphasize the I and the me. It's just tucked in there one time after the other. It's all about I, I, me, my, I. And, I mean, you can't really blame somebody for buying, a, buying an ox or a piece of ground or a, marrying a wife or what have you, but, but it was, it, the picture, I believe, it's bigger. And it's just all about myself and me and I. And I believe that the theme of humility is wrapped in, in there. It takes a humble person not to trust in anything that I can do or acquire and just totally trust in God. And I think that's part of the point here. Well, the master got angry and he, he shifts his attention to those that have nothing to offer. Nothing. Nothing with these hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. That's the attention that, the, that, the, that Jesus 
or he turned the attention to that group of people. Now just picture it with me for a minute. Just uh, picture a poor man walking down the road and his normal day is, can I have a little bite to eat? And he's not a, not a, he's not a scam. He's a poor man and he needs something to eat. And here comes, a, here comes a, the servant. And the servant says, come, we're going to the king's house or the, the, the mansion up on the hill. And the, the poor man says, I'm sorry, but I, I don't think I belong up there because I haven't bathed in I don't know how long. And you know I won't fit in there. And the, 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 the servant just says, just come, just come. And after some convincing, an invitation, an invitation, they, they go up the hill. And there he's greeted cordially by the host. And he cleans him up and sits him around the table. And the servant goes back down the hill. And he meets a man without legs. He's maimed, no legs. And he says, you want to come up for a supper, a banquet up in the hill, up, up in the mansion? And he, the guy without legs says, I don't have legs. I'm not getting to the top of the hill. Can you leave me alone? No, come, just come. And maybe the servant says, if you don't have legs, let my legs be your legs, and when my legs will take you to the top of the hill. And he cons obviously consented. And he took him, and he took up to the top of the hill and put him around the beautiful, beautiful table. And the servant goes down the hill again. And he meets the blind. I mean, you could go through it, the cripple and the, and the, uh, the halt. And finally, the blind man. And you want to come to the supper? No, I can't see. How do you just let me take you by the hand? I'll take you to the top of the hill. I'll put you around the table. But I can't just let my hand guide you. After the invitation was strong, he said, okay. And he goes to the top of the hill, and there he's seated with the poor, the halt, the maimed, the blind. Not with those that bought the land and owned the cattle and married the wives. And so what, what's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, I think it's a very strong lesson on humility. And like I said, I'm not sure if I passed the test, but it, this passage brings an awesome awareness that it is so important that you, and it is so important that I practice and live a life of humility and take the model of Jesus who took himself, uh, he made himself no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, and he was obedient even to the death of the cross. God's grace is uh, written all over this story as well. What is the opposite of humility? It's pride. And if I would ask you, how did Satan become Satan? You know that Satan was created as a beautiful angel. I think he was a choir director of heaven. I think Satan was one of the most magnificent, charming angels, at cre created angels. But Isaiah 14 tells us, that his heart was lifted up in pride. And that, you could, you, could, you could answer me in one word. How did Satan become Satan? And it was pride. So, one more time. Whoever exalts himself 
shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. May the Lord bless each one of us as we carefully choose our seats in life. I think Isaac Watts said it best. Uh, Hymns of the Church, 245. I, I don't know a lot about Isaac Watts, but I know he was a, a brilliant young guy. I think he had about at least four languages mastered. By the age of 12, he wrote 600 hymns. He obviously understood something about uh, pride. And in, ver- in uh, where am I at? 245. There's this one line in the first verse that I want this. I'm going to read this, and then I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to stand up and we're going to sing it, okay? When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. I don't think I'll ever unpack the last uh, phrase of the first stanza. What does it mean to pour contempt? Contempt means scorn, treated as no value. It's worthless. And Isaac Watts says, I just want to pour, I want to pour contempt on all my pride. I, I think it gives us the an idea or an insight that our hearts have an evil fire of pride and it needs a constant, maybe like a fire burns and just like a constant pouring of, of water to, to quench that fire. So why don't we all stand? I'm going to pray and then we, if, if you could lead us in this song and then we're going to be dismissed. So why don't you stand for a closing dismissal prayer and then I'd like to sing 245. I think we have time to sing all four verses and then we can consider yourself dismissed. Father, we come in Jesus' name. Your word is truth. Sanctify us with your truth. You've showed us in your word that exalting ourselves will always bring us down and humbling ourselves will always exalt us just like it happened in the life of Jesus. So God, we're simply asking that you would penetrate our hard hearts this morning. We confess corporately that we're so prone to pride. And we pray, God, that at the cross, at the cross of Jesus, where the ground is so level, at the cross, we could just together pour contempt on our pride Our desire is to be humble. Our desire is to be servants. Our desire is to choose those seats of service. So God, thank you again for speaking to our hearts. Now bless us and make us a blessing in the name of Jesus. If you could lead the song and then ask.